Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the multi-award winning show for travelers by travelers. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Our purpose here on World Footprints is to connect you to the world through travel. And today, we will take you to a place near and dear to us, Bermuda, to experience Bermuda Day and share one of the island's great resort properties, the Newstead Belmont. And we'll fulfill the need for speed as we visit the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum in Birmingham, Alabama, home to the world's best and largest motorcycle collection as certified by Guinness World Records. Thanks, dear. Every May 24th, the people of Bermuda come together to celebrate Bermuda Day. Born from a desire of the Bermudian government to bring calm to the island after a time of civil unrest in the 1960s and 70s, Bermuda Day and May's Heritage Month celebrate and commemorate the culture and traditions of a place with a history of more than 400 years running. As we learn from a proud Bermudian, Joy Warren. It's like a picnic atmosphere. Everybody brings food, um, family. You actually see people that you haven't seen for years in the small 21 square miles. While there are many highlights of the Bermuda Day Parade in Hamilton, the capital of Bermuda, the world-famous band company of the Bermuda Regiment delights many onlopers. Known for their precise military musical performances, the Regiment Band is a tremendous source of pride for Bermudians, as Reggie Huey shares. I, at one point, was the drum major for the Regiment. Now my son is going to be the, you'll see him today, he'll be the drum major for the Bermuda Regiment Band. The Newstead Belmont Hills Resort in Bermuda blends a boutique hotel style with the leisure of a luxury resort with an unmatched view of Hamilton Harbor. Newstead's general manager, Bushara K. Bushara, sits down with us to give us an overview of this boutique resort that appeals to the business and leisure traveler visiting Bermuda. There's no charge for the ferry. Um, we're running on a schedule. In addition to that, we have some other value adds that have uh, sort of helped us uh, sort of differentiating ourselves in the market. You know, we, we have airport transfers to and from uh, the airport. Birmingham, Alabama is home to the world's largest motorcycle collection thanks to the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. This museum, part of the Barber Motorsports Park, just minutes from downtown Birmingham, is the vision of developer and dairy executive George Barber, who wanted to showcase the history of motorcycles from a global perspective and preserve America's motorcycle heritage. The museum's senior docent, Jack Gertz, takes us inside this unique motor collection. The first three bikes have been the Barber collection. We're going to show you the collection from 1986 We hope you'll enjoy our Bermuda full exploration and our visit to Birmingham's Barber Motorsports Museum on today's show. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Every May 24th, the people of Bermuda come together to celebrate Bermuda Day. 
born from a desire of the Bermudian government to bring calm to the island after a time of civil unrest in the 1960s and 70s, Bermuda Day and May's Heritage Month celebrate and commemorate the culture and traditions of a place with a history of more than 400 years running. As we learn from a proud Bermudian, Joy Warren. We're here in Hamilton, Bermuda to celebrate Bermuda Day, and we're here with Joy Warren, a Bermudian, who will talk to us about uh, this wonderful celebration, this most important day in uh, Bermuda. Joy, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you. Now, tell us about Bermuda Day. Why is this such an important day to Bermudians? Uh, Bermuda Day is a day that we celebrate our heritage. Um, historically, it was actually called Empire Day. It was we commemorated Queen Victoria's birthday. Uh, in the 1960s, it changed. There was a lot of civil unrest in Bermuda. And as a means of bringing folks together, um, we started the Bermuda Day holiday. Um, the run, it was just the runners um, racing on that day. No parade. We used to have Easter parade years ago. And then um, in 1979 was the first Bermuda Day Heritage Parade. And that's the day that we're celebrating today as well. Now, thousands of people are here with their families and friends, and many have been camped out uh, for hours and perhaps even days to claim a, a, a major spot along uh, the parade route. Uh, this really is a way to bring everyone together on this island. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody, it's like a picnic atmosphere. Everybody brings food, um, family. You actually see people that you haven't seen for years. In the small 21 square miles, believe you. Sometimes you haven't seen people for years. You actually see them on Heritage Day. Now, do a lot of Bermudians who have left the island come back for this day? Yes, absolutely, they do. Joy, how long has Bermuda Day been celebrated? How many years have you been celebrating this tradition? The Bermuda Day. It has been celebrated since the 1960s. Um, not the Bermuda Day itself. It was actually Empire Day, um, Queen Victoria's birthday. It, it changed in the 60s after the civil unrest. And then um, Heritage Day, the, the parade, actually started in 1979. So some 36 years, some 36 years now. Yeah. So it's a, a very young holiday, actually. The, and the actual parade is very young. Um, the... the, the um, commemoration of the Queen's birthday that's been years. This holiday seems to correspond with Memorial Day, which we celebrate in the States, but there's no correlation, is there? This is actually one of the first times that I can remember in recent history where the two holidays have combined. Normally we um, celebrate the 24th of May, but if, the, if it falls on the weekend, then the next Monday after, that's when we celebrate that hol- the holiday. And what are some of the events that, that we experienced during the day? We saw the, the kitty runners. We saw a few um, railer bowlers. Okay. The, um, rollerbladers. There's the cycle race. And then there's the um, annual marathon, um, 13 miles. It's 13 miles from Somerset Dockyard to, um, to Hamilton. So that's, that's a big tradition. Um, that was around before the parade was around, actually. People used to just come at the side of the roads and watch the runners go by um, from early in the morning. But with the, uh, with the parade in 1979, that's when you got people start um, getting their spots. And um, last week, people were camping out for a week. 
attend airs. They, they even had shifts and they were rotating and writing down who was going to relieve, who, who was going to relieve that person. So it's a big thing in Bermuda. One of the things that amazes us is that how, how uh, respectful Bermudians are to the spots that are reserved by others. We don't see that. We don't experience that in the United States. <laughs> we do respect each other. <laughs> yeah, it's- just to, just to give a visual of this, as uh, you come along the various street uh, corners here, you will find names on electrical tape with uh, spots that are claimed, and that's where the tents uh, rise on a Bermuda Day. And so it's uh, really quite an organized event down to very meticulous details such as arranging porta potties here which is 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 pretty amazing yes it is it is it's 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 fantastic it's better it's almost as big as one of um our cop match holiday that we celebrate in july july august but this is everybody um Portuguese, um, Filipino community now come out to Bermuda Day. The West Indian community, everybody enjoys this holiday. Traditionally Bermudian, but everybody, it's evolved into an international day, even though it's called Bermuda Day. (laughs) Well, we're happy to celebrate it as citizens of the U.S. We're happy to celebrate it here as honorary Bermudian Bermudian citizens. Definitely. And we're happy to have you. Well, Joy... Warren, thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprints and sharing Bermuda Day with our audience. Thank you. Have a wonderful Bermuda Day. Thank you so much. You're While there are many highlights of the Bermuda Day Parade in Hamilton, the capital of Bermuda, the world-famous band company of the Bermuda Regiment delights many onlookers. Known for their precise military musical performances, the Regiment Band is a tremendous source of pride for Bermudians, as Reggie Huey shares. I'm here with Reggie Huey on Bermuda Day. Reggie, welcome to World Footprints. Uh, Thank you. Why is Bermuda Day a special day for you and your family? Uh, simply because um, it's Bermuda heritage, first of all, and um, I used to participate in the in the uh, Bermuda Day uh, festivities uh, for a number of years with the uh, Bermuda Gumbays as well as the Bermuda Regiment. Band. Um, I retired about six years ago from the from the Gumbays as well as the regiment. And uh, I'm now sitting back and enjoying watching it. For those who are not familiar with the Gumbays and the Regiment, give us a little bit of background about those. Okay, the Bermuda Regiment is our regiment in Bermuda. And um, we have also the Regiment Band, which I used to participate in. I used to uh, play the drums. And um, I at one point was the drum major for the regiment. Now my son is going to be, the, you'll see him today, he'll be the drum major for the Bermuda Regiment Band. Um, also with the Gumbays, uh, it's a Bermuda tradition which came out of the um, West Indies and um, it's, it's just carried on through uh, Bermuda and um, we've just carried the tradition uh, right along through. It's, it's a group the Gumbays are a group of men and boys who uh, dance through the streets uh, in high peacock uh, headgear and uh, very colorful costumes. Reggie, you, you mentioned Bermuda Heritage. So today, Bermuda Day celebrates Bermuda Heritage. What can you tell us about Bermuda's heritage? In the There's a lot of different cultures that really make up uh, Bermuda today that 
that. So are you celebrating the heritage, the original heritage, or just the collective heritage? Original, the original heritage we are celebrating. As well, There's there has been a lot of um, different cultures that have um, come to Bermuda, and they also participate in, in our heritage. So um, they have the opportunity to um, portray and uh, uh, show their cultural heritage from their country as well. And I understand that Bermuda Day is a really young festive, uh, festival. It only started in the 60s. What prompted, what, what was the genesis behind the celebration of Bermuda Day? Well, um, we used to um, have what they call uh, the Easter Parade, which is a floral parade that used to um, uh, go through town, and people used to um, build floats and floral floats. And uh, after a while, the, the flowers were pretty difficult to come by. So um, it, it just migrated right into the Bermuda Day um, holiday. So, uh, and for someone who has not been to Bermuda before, what would you want them to know about your beautiful island? Well, first of all, um, Bermudians are very, very friendly, and um, the uh, the island itself, being so very small, um, you know, we have a lot of um, unique things here like the oldest um, Anglican church in the Western Hemisphere, which is down in St. George's. And, uh, you know, our beautiful beaches, pink sands, you know, people love to see that. Reggie, with, with some of the um, traditions that have um, been part of Bermuda Day, I would imagine that the planning goes on year-round. Uh, talk to what goes into uh, some of the uh, planning and and how uh, fathers and sons uh, get together to uh, prepare for uh, this day in terms of participating with the gumbays or with uh, the regiment? Well, um, as far as the gumbays are concerned, um, normally, um, I would say around about Christmas, we would start um, preparing and making the costumes for the gumbays. And um, every year, um, they try to... Uh, to a, a, a brand new costume that um, for each each parade, and as far as the regiment, the regiment is ongoing, you know. So um, because it's it's the Bermuda Regiment band, they normally sort of um, lead the parade. I I used to uh, start off with the regiment band, uh, go change my clothes, and then get back to the uh, beginning of the parade to uh, start playing drums for the Gumbies. So. <laughs> me and my son used to do that at the same time because he was in the regiment as well, along with me. So, And he was with the Gumbies playing drums with me. So. It was kind of unique. You know. Now, since this is a national holiday, it's, a, it's an all-day affair. So once the day has passed here in Hamilton in terms of the half marathon and the parade itself, what will Bermudians uh, partake in? Um, well, after all is said and done, uh, people will just uh, pack up their uh, stuff and go back home and prepare for work the next day. 
<laughs> so, but what we're trying to do, uh, they had talked about um, moving uh, the actual celebration day on a Friday because we have so many uh, young children that participate in the parade that after the parade they have to go to school the next day. So uh, they're trying to um, make a decision on whether or not they're going to um, allow the parade to be on on a Friday so that on the Saturday they can rest and, and Monday prepare for school. So I was curious about your son, who's a drum major this year. Is there How are drum majors selected for the parade? Well, he wasn't selected just for this parade. He's uh, Bermuda's Regiment's official drum major. So uh, it's more in... Um, like the English tradition, like the Scots Guard, and it's, it's not like the American drum majors. So he's more regimental, you know. Oh, well, we're looking forward to the festivities today and to cheering your son on and all the other runners and cyclers who are coming our way. Well, hopefully he will stop right here and play for, they, the band will play for us. Now, how many members are there on the band? Um, last I saw, there may be about 20, 25. How regularly do they perform here? Well, they do all, all of the um, official functions for Bermuda, like um, when if the Queen was to come here, the, they, we have what we call a peppercorn ceremony. We have uh, Queen's birthday parade and um, all the official functions. Um, Involving Bermuda, the regiment band um, plays for. Well, Roger, we thank you so much for sharing Bermuda Day with us on World Footprints. Why, thank you, and I hope you enjoy your stay here. Thank you. After the break, the Newstead Belmont Hills Resort Hotel, overlooking Hamilton Harbor, has everything for the business and leisure traveler visiting Bermuda. The hotel's general manager, Bushara K. Bushara, shares why any Bermuda itinerary should include the Newstead. There's no charge for the ferry. Uh, we run it on a schedule. In addition to that, we have some other value adds that have uh, sort of helped us uh, sort of differentiating ourselves in the market. You know, we, we have airport transfers to and from the airport. Uh, we have complimentary golf. Next, as World Footprints continues. Good day, everyone. This is Donna Douglas with Bermuda Tourism here with World Footprints in sunny Bermuda. We thank you for joining us, and we hope everyone will visit us one day soon for Bermuda Day, May 24. Hi, this is Jennifer Coolidge. The American Heart Association says the disco song Stayin' Alive is the near-perfect beat for hands-only CPR. If you see a teen or adult collapse from cardiac arrest, you only need two steps to help save a life. Call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest to the beat of the song Stayin' Alive. Disco is back and it's saving lives. To learn more, go to heart.org slash hands-only CPR. Nationally supported by the WellPoint Foundation. Hi, this is Betty Jean De Silva, hanging out with Tanya and Ian from World Footprints at Bermuda Days, hoping that they are going to have an experience that they will remember. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. 
Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. The Newstead Belmont Hills Resort in Bermuda blends a boutique hotel style with the leisure of a luxury resort with an unmatched view of Hamilton Harbor. Newstead's general manager, Bouchara K. Bouchara, sits down with us to give us an overview of this boutique resort that appeals to the business and leisure traveler visiting Bermuda. My name is Bouchara. I'm the general manager of the Newstead Belmont Hills. Uh, Newstead, of course, is um, a full resort consisting of 60 rooms, uh, two restaurants, uh, swimming pool, gym, um, and a wonderful golf course called the Belmont Hills. And a spa. Uh, and a spa, and a wonderful yes. spa, that's right. So. <laughs> Richard, I want to ask you, you know, th- this is a beautiful property, and we've really enjoyed staying here celebrating our anniversary. Um, but one of the things I was curious about, you know, there's some wonderful properties uh, on the island, and there were properties that we knew about, we were introduced to years ago when we when we come here a few times. What is it that has helped Newstead's staying power, where your property has succeeded and is, uh, you know, has has weathered the test of time, where others, even branded properties like the Westin and Marriott, have not? Yeah, I think you know the island has gone through some challenges in the last fifteen to twenty years. Um, Newstead is a small, you know, sort of a small, independent, intimate property. I think if there are sort of a couple of characteristics and criteria that make us successful, one, sort of our personal attention to details, um, you know, our, our staff um, is very much a family in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know our guests by name. Um, um, we're... Um, we, we run this as a family business and so forth. Uh, so one of our successes is, is that we combine both worlds. We combine sort of the, business, the business world and the leisure world. We, our location is critical. It's, we've been blessed by a great location. Uh, so we, we have a stream of customers, business persons that come from Hamilton and stay with us. Mm-hmm. So they provide us with that, with that segment. And of course, the leisure, Newstead has wonderful rooms, very spacious, and they're very conducive to families and sort of combined travel. Um, and so uh, the reputation of Newstead, of course, Newstead's been, it's, it's only been open since 2007. It's a brand new property. Uh, so we, we've had the luxury of having a new property. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a good few years. The, the, the years past were quite difficult for not just Newstead, but the entire island. Certainly. Weather, I think the island will weather the storm and sort of move forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. And speaking of storms, you know, we're situated mm-hmm. in Hamilton mm-hmm. Harbor for the benefit of listeners who haven't been to Bermuda or, mm-hmm. or maybe have, but uh, just to give them a... a um, a landmark, uh, Hamilton Harbor is, is a protected mm-hmm. harbor. Um, it's part of the middle of the island, I would say, mm-hmm. and which means because we're part of a harbor, this area is not subject to a lot of the uh, violent uh, storms that have hit the island in past, most famously Fabian, okay. uh, and so. This area enjoys uh, much more protection, I think, from the elements, too, would you say? Is Correct. It- I think just generally speaking, statistically speaking, um, uh, Bermuda, although is, is generally in the path of 
hurricanes doesn't really get hit by a lot of hurricanes. Um, uh, Fabian was a major hurricane. It was quite a surprise for the island. It caused quite a bit of damage. Mm. Uh, but going to, for Newstead specifically, you're absolutely right. It is a protected bay in a sense. Um, uh, during several of the storms, Newstead uh, has seen very little effect in terms of damage. Uh, so, yeah, we've been, for, again, our, our location has been an absolute blessing. Um, not just in terms of the market segmentation, but in terms of sort of nature and, and protection from that. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, we benefit from is uh, being able to see Hamilton, but we're not actually in Hamilton. And the way that uh, guests get to Hamilton is via your own private uh, jetty that takes uh, uh, folks over over to Hamilton. Talk to us about some of those amenities that 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 really help to set this place apart. You mentioned the golf course, but just even being able to commute to Hamilton is easy for guests here. Sure, absolutely right. We have a wonderful ferry um, that goes. Uh, from Newstead to Hamilton on a frequent basis, we run into about six days, six days, and it's been it's been a great value add. There's no charge for the ferry; uh, we run it on a schedule. In addition to that, we have some other value adds that have uh, sort of helped us, uh, sort of differentiating ourselves in the market. You know, we. We have airport transfers to and from uh, the airport. Mm -hmm. uh, we have complimentary golf um, on a daily basis, uh, sort of uh, regardless of how many persons in the party. Um, and that's those those value adds have been critical. Uh, Bermuda is not necessarily known uh, generally for being inexpensive, uh, so these value adds become critical. Uh, and we've sort of followed that strategy and it's really worked for us. Right, and you also have um, offer service to a beach because we're in the harbor, we don't have a beachfront, mm -hmm. we're not on beachfront property, um, but you do offer shuttles to other beaches. Which ones in particular? Yeah, we, we have an affiliation with uh, uh, Coco Reef, which is right on the stretch of Elbow Beach and Coral Beach. Wonderful, wonderful beach, one of the best uh, on South Shore. Um, and, and we're only a few minutes away. We have a we have a shuttle that that's on demand, takes you back and forth. In a way, I tell the guests here feel that they have the best of both worlds. You're here, you're across from Hamilton, where 80% of the entertainment and, and 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 the restaurants are, and so forth. And you're only a few minutes away from the beach, you know. So. It is, it is, again, a wonderful location to be in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, as far as logistics, going to the beach, we're going to travel there tomorrow mm -hmm. for our anniversary. Um, is there, are there costs involved in, as far as towel rentals or chair rentals or anything of that sort? Not, not if you go to Cocoa Reef, uh, there would be no, no charges. It's part of the service okay. that, that we provide, so they provide you with... With the, uh, I suggest you take your own towel yes. from, from the newsstand, uh, but they provide you with the chairs, and it's a full service um, operation. Meaning they have uh, they have food and drink, um, and, and it's uh, it's uh, so it's also adjacent to Elbow Beach. Uh, and Elbow Beach has services also, so if sometimes you get a chance to walk across. There's a wonderful place uh, called Mickey's, um, a nice restaurant, and uh, it's, it's, it's a nice experience mm -hmm. to have. So. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I know you have uh, two restaurants on property here, and part of the travel experience that we enjoy and a lot of our audience members enjoy is the culinary experience. So tell us about your chef. And yeah, we, we have two wonderful restaurants, one being in-house here uh, on properties. It's the Borovoy, it's a French restaurant. And um, we have a world-renowned chef behind him, uh, Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude Garcia has uh, been awarded uh, in sort of the emeritorious uh, award by um, uh, President Jacques Chirac in, in 19, uh, 1998, I believe. Um, uh, he's, he was considered one of the best. We've been fortunate to have him here. Uh, and uh, he's done a wonderful, wonderful job. On the other side, on our golf course side, we have Blue. Blue has been voted in the past um, uh, on the Condé Nast survey as one of the uh, top 100 restaurants in, in the Caribbean. Um, it is a wonderful restaurant with beautiful views, great service. Uh, and if you get a chance, uh, you know, Please make sure you stop by. It really is breathtaking. So. I would love to um, find out your personal story. You know, yesterday we celebrated Bermuda Day. You're, mm-hmm. you're a fellow a native Bermudian. Mm-hmm. Um, you studied in the United States, Baylor University. Mm-hmm. From a local perspective, um, what is it about Bermuda that is so special to you that brought you back home? Bermuda is just a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a wonderful place. It's not just the beauty of the landscape; it is really the beauty of the people here. Um, again, this is one big family, mm. as you will discover. Hopefully, you come back uh, more and more to this island. But it's—it's it's one big family. People know each know each other, uh, care about each other, uh, and in addition to that, they care really. They, they care. They're very hospitable. They care about the visitors that come here. Uh, um, many, many of many folk have left the island to, to study or to perhaps to immigrate, but many have come back. They've yearned uh, sort of uh, to the civility of the island and the friendliness of the island. So I think that those those two. Uh, tend to bring you back. And so as a local as well, where are your favorite places to, to go to eat, to uh, for entertainment, for relaxation? Well I have I have many. In terms of in terms of dining, uh, besides our two great restaurants, Blue and Borovaj. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think Front Street offers some great experiences. Protocol is one of my fa- favorites, not just for, for, for the dining experience, for entertainment. They have really a nice atmosphere, especially on Fridays. They have a great atmosphere. Um, Ascot's uh, Royal Palms is one of my favorites. It's a really mm. nice, intimate, uh, again, great for anniversaries, uh, and they have great, great um, uh, service. Uh, over at the Southampton Princess, the Waterlot, as a steakhouse, I love, I love meat, <laughs> and I, that steakhouse is absolutely wonderful. So but there are many, many really. Um, in terms of views, I mentioned Mickey's earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mickey's is a casual restaurant right on at Elbow Beach. Absolutely beautiful setting, right on the on, on the uh, on the beach. Oh, uh, absolutely wonderful setting. Uh, there. But again, Bermuda has an array of great. Uh, restaurants um, and 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 
it caters to everybody's taste. But, I mean, there's, there's sort of the local cu- cuisine. There's uh, the Italian, the French, uh, you know, American. Uh, name it. Bermuda has it. So. In in terms of seasons, you know, I, I think we're just entering your high season or the uh-huh. May, the Bermuda Day mm-hmm. uh, starts the your high season. Mm-hmm. How is uh, how is it during uh, that time and 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 low season? Frankly, when you know the weather, I mean, I think people may think, oh, Bermuda, you know, Caribbean, it has to mm-hmm. be hot and steamy during the summer or during the uh, winter, uh, as some of the southern islands are. Um, but it's not necessarily. So where would you, would a visitor have a different experience in terms of attractions and what have you during that, those times? Unnecessary. I mean, the, the average temperature during what they term as the, the off-season or the shoulder season is, is really around 68 or, 60, you know, between 65 and 68. That's usually the average temperature. It's, it's a great, it, perhaps it's not beach weather, but it's great for golf, for spa, for dining, mm-hmm. just to relax. I mean, a quick getaway. I mean, it's, you know, it's usually very cold on the other side of the East Coast in Michigan where, right. you, know, where you went to school and so forth. So it, it is, it is, you'll be surprised, you know. Uh, sometimes the temperature uh, is, is very similar to what we have today. You know? Right. People sometimes, mis- Bermuda is sort of um, misconstrued in terms of uh, perhaps it's cool at times, but but that coolness is very pleasant, and there are a lot of activities that you can have during mm-hmm. that time. And I encourage everybody to come. The, the folks that come are quite surprised when they come down. They really love it, provided you have a, an itinerary, you know what you want to do and so forth, especially if it revolves around you know going to museums and, mm-hmm. and, and, and dining, you know, golf, just sort of, and, and some uh, some outdoor activities. Uh, it really is. I actually enjoy that time. I don't actually like the heat, by the way. So right. I, I, I love that time. So between November all the way to April. So, so you know, the, the cruise ships come in. They're, they're no longer coming into Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. They're coming into dockyards, which is a furthest southern point mm-hmm. on the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not necessarily as convenient for cruise passengers to, to travel into Hamilton. Although I know there's shuttles and what have you, but their time is limited on the island. And so for those people, uh, for other people flying in for perhaps a long weekend, what are the most, what would you advise the top one or two places for people to see on the island? I, I would I would re- definitely recommend the historic town of St. George's. Okay. Uh, it, uh, that town is just replete with with history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that history is actually connected, believe it or not, to the U.S. Uh, there, there is a major, major connection. So St. George's is not to be missed um, for the historical and cultural side of the island. And then for the touristy side, I mean, I would definitely, you know, Hamilton is a great, it's a great city. Uh, for shopping and dining, I would I would definitely stop there. And if there's if there's if there's time uh, to browse, although they're at dockyard when they stop by, to just make sure they 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 look at the uh, 
the Maritime Museum that's a dockyard. Sometimes they, it's missed. You know, people mm-hmm. sort of get off the cruise ship and they head to the beaches and so forth. But there's some cultural spots that are very critical. The, the museum there, the dolphins uh, over a dockyard. Um, uh, but if you have that limited time, those, those would be my recommendations. Mm-hmm. But St. George's would be my, my top because it is different, it's unique, it's very quaint. Uh, it is, it's worth seeing. So. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to share? I was going to ask about the vacation, the timeshare. Newstead is is um, uh, is a fractional uh, property. Uh, we do um, uh, it. It combines as it hybrids as both a hotel and a and a fractional property. Um, so that we we sell. Uh, six shares, um, so it's eight weeks. That translates into eight weeks, and those eight weeks are divided into two two week increments, basically per season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, we've been very successful with it. Is that a, is that a new business model? That property, the kind of the timeshare type model that hotels on the island are starting to. Yeah, I think more and more uh, uh, the, you'll see what they call mixed use. Uh, not necessarily just this particular model, Tucker's Point. Um, uh, the first Tucker's Point has has fractional. It's not timeshare. The, the difference is with, with timeshare, you own you own just the time. Mm-hmm. Here at Newstead, you actually own a room. It's it's uh, so with timeshare, you sort of when you buy, you, you you're not you don't have a particular room that you're entitled to or you have a deed for. Well, here you do. You actually, it's a uh-huh. deeded property. It's yours for perpetuity. It is. You have a deed from that's given to you by government that says that particular room belongs to you for those eight weeks. Right. So, uh, so it's a convenient way for a foreigner to actually own a piece of property without having to fork out millions of dollars as oh, normally absolutely. you do. Absolutely. That was the whole idea behind that model. Is that if you. Um, Instead of buying a, an expensive summer home on an island and so forth for millions of dollars, and, and the facts are that most people don't stay outside their home very long, maybe a, a couple of weeks here or, mm-hmm. or so. So uh, the, the fractional offer you a very viable and affordable option so that you can sort of have a luxury accommodation but not for the entire year. Mm-hmm. You know? and, uh, and, and if you're a frequent visitor to an island such as Bermuda, it is probably worth it to to look into that. If you if you if you come in on a frequent basis, meaning once, twice uh, a year, uh, some people also come even three times a year. Um, it, it's worth looking into it Indeed. because it ultimately. Over a period of time, you tend to save money that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, well, it's a nice way, uh, a way to own a piece of paradise, I suppose. You know, for uh, for a destination that's only an hour and a half from the East Coast, um, we just need to work on flight on Lyft yes, right, <laughs> from, from from the East Coast now. No, absolutely, and I think it's it's you know as we there, uh, hopefully in the future more hotels would uh, yes. come online. Uh, and, and uh, more visitors will come this way, and then Lyft, you know, Lyft will uh, 
you know, we'll definitely increase then. So this is a beautiful place. Like you said, it's only an hour and a half. We just need more people to know about it mm-hmm. and to come here and just to sort of experience it, even for a weekend, you know. Uh, they can, you know, basically, the repeat base in Bermuda is quite high. We just need to bring them here first. Yes. And once they come down, we have, you know, we have the sort of the ability to bring them back. Yes. It's well, we've we've been back. Obviously, you know, our lives started on Bermuda nine years ago. We were married at Aspen Park, and uh, we've come back for a few anniversaries since then. Oh, wonderful! Uh, so Bermuda is a special place in our heart. Yeah. Mashara, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints. Thank you so much. Coming up, Birmingham, Alabama is home to one of the world's greatest motorcycle collections thanks to the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. We'll go inside this unique motorsports museum that continues to draw enthusiasts and casual observers from all over the world. He went out and bought these three Hondas right here. They're all brand new 1986 Hondas. No mileage on them. No miles on them at all. And he bought them and from this, this is what started the collection. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Ingrid Harrell from Laurel, Maryland, and I'm here in beautiful Bermuda, enjoying Bermuda Day. And I love World Footprints. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry, and I'm an actor reaching out with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, which works with private landowners to protect wildlife, preserve natural habitats, and create permanent sanctuaries. To learn more, call 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jamie Hall from Connecticut. I'm here in Bermuda, enjoying Bermuda Day, and I also am enjoying hanging out with World Footprints. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Birmingham, Alabama is home to one of the world's largest motorcycle collections thanks to the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. This museum, part of the Barber Motorsports Park just minutes from downtown Birmingham, is the vision of developer and dairy executive George Barber who wanted to showcase the history of motorcycles from a global perspective and preserve America's motorcycle heritage. The museum's senior docent, Jack Gertz, takes us inside this unique motor collection, which had very humble beginnings in Birmingham. This collection started from zero in 1988 to over 1,400 today and growing. We just got one in today, in fact. Uh, add, and I don't know what number that is, about 1430, I think. This this museum building here has replaced an old warehouse where we started the museum, which was an old warehouse on Fifth Avenue North in Birmingham. And uh, the museum was there from 1995 until about 2000, 2001, we closed that museum to build this building. This building was two years, a little over two years under construction. And uh, also it's purpose-built purpose for a museum. You know, we just didn't find this out in a, a cow pasture here. It is uh, six stories, 188,000 square feet, 144,000 square feet are open to the public. We do all our restoration in here. We also do our warehousing of the bikes in here. Our goal is to preserve motorsports. So, our, so 
our progeny can say and enjoy what we enjoy coming out and what our grandfathers enjoyed too. We go back to about 19 of actual product in the museum, real and not a replica. 1902 is our oldest complete motorcycle. 1902 is our oldest complete motorcycle in the museum. From that, uh, then we go up, like I said, the one that came in yesterday, uh, today, is a 2015. So we are, as I said, brand new. We've got it today. We just took it out of the tray. Uh, if it's well, I'll tell you over the edge. I'm not sure whether it's stuff. So, and it is serial number one. It's the first one of this. That particular bike. We're also, in addition to the largest collection of motorcycles, we are. Well, we, Guinness has not certified this yet. We know we are the largest collection of Lotus race cars, too. And we're going for certification for that, but there's a lot of paperwork involved yeah. there. Mm. So, Jack, just for our audience purposes, okay. can you explain how this museum is organized? Uh, yes. Fifth, we've got five floors that are open to the public year-round. Uh, the fifth floor is a sample floor. It covers a little bit of everything. It, uh, it covers... Third floor is bikes from the 40s through the through the 80s. Second floor is our color floor with a few bikes scattered in where they make sense. The first floor is military bikes and uh, 20s. It's still the gap 20s and 30s in that time. As I say, this this bike we've got a few, and I've got a few favorites on here. The bike that you see when you first get off the steps right here is a, it was a high school class project from a shop class about 30 miles away. They did it a few years ago. Wow. It's called the Shop Rat. And uh, I just wish our shop class had been like that. I might have been more interested in shop <laughs> Well, there's a program out of Chicago called Shop Rat, which hits the name of bike, where they strive to get kids interested in something other than the standard shop projects. As we stop at the 1910 Pierce Arrow, one of the great names in cars and motorcycles, we learn how innovative this motorcycle was for one feature, a clutch. 1910 Pierce, Pierce Arrow four-cylinder, uh, one of the rare bikes because motorcycles didn't have clutches until about 1916, generally. This one has a clutch in it, so you could actually stop this bike at a corner and not kill the engine which is how you had to do most motorcycles in the old days. George Barber, the visionary namesake behind the museum, used his family's fortune in the dairy business to chart a different path. Mr. Barber inherited the family dairy when his dad died suddenly, and I don't remember the year. Uh, Mr. Barber had no intent to become a dairy farmer. And we say dairy, he's a milk processor, actually. He never owned a cow in his okay. life. He owned the processing plants. And uh, Mr. Barber is a very sharp man. He enjoyed, he looked and said, well, we can do more than just bottle milk. So they started bottling fruit juices for Tropicana and Bird's Eye, for example. Oh. 
and expanded its local Birmingham area there to the southeastern powerhouse. And Barbara, Barbara Garris is the name of the company. Uh, got to be very, very popular. Mr. Barber sold that in 1999. Dean Foods out of mm-hmm. Chicago bought the milk processing plant. The ice cream processing plant went to Mayfield Dairies out of Kentucky. Wow. Mayfield Dairies, in my opinion, uh, well, I just want to say in my opinion, but they changed the name of the ice cream to Mayfield because that's what they were known mm-hmm. for. And Mayfield is a great dairy, by the way. But Dean Foods kept the Barber Dairy, so you can still go into the grocery store and oh. buy Barber milk. You can't buy Barber ice cream anymore. <laughs> you've got to buy Mayfield. If you want Barber ice cream, you got to buy, be in the Barber footprint right. and buy Mayfield. Because it's still it's still made here in Birmingham yeah, in yeah. the Barber Dairy. is a Barber ice cream plant, but it's labeled Mayfield. One of the stories the museum tells is the globalization of motorcycle manufacturing and the changing fortunes of those nations and companies that once dominated the industry to those that became the leaders in the modern era. First generation of Honda 750, which is the end of the British motorcycle industry until about 1990. That, that came in 1969, the Honda 750, and essentially killed the British motorcycle industry. It took 20 years to recover. But then come the British motorcycle industry is on its way back and some very good bikes now. Jack, how many uh, motorcycles are there in the collection? Well, the collection's over 1,400 right now. In motorcycles, over about 150 cars. The museum has on display at any one time about 750 motorcycles and about somewhere between 85 and 90 cars. As you may have noticed as you drove in, the big monument sign at the, at the road where they did the construction it said Barber Motorsports Park. Oh. And uh, part of the park, it's a very family-oriented park. We do have a world-class road course here. Uh, we race one of the in-car races is here in April. So we do open-wheel racing, we do motorcycle racing, we do sports car racing, wow. we're doing vintage car racing here. We, we're European style, meaning we have no bleachers. We do bring bleachers in for Indy cars because people for that class seem to expect it. This is this is also the home of the Porsche Sport Driving School. Porsche runs the track 150 days. Out. They've got a minute today. You can see a Porsche run by here. Uh, they've got set up for their driving school now. Does the curating and where do they go? Because they have to go all over the world to find. Well, the general manager, chief curator, is a gentleman named Jeff Ray, who had to go to a meeting where he would be doing this instead of me. Uh, and we do search the world over, but we are world famous. But we do have folks going over. Uh, Searching eBay, mm-hmm. there's a lot of antique auctions that we go through, and everybody sends us their catalog. Uh, we get a lot of uh, Craigslist. We search the internet for anything. There's a portion going down, and regular stuff. We go through that. We, we hit what I consider critical mass, so that uh, bikes find us. You know, we have things Maybe you'll, I don't know if you're a motorcycle business or not. If you are, you may think. Another couple of things, and I didn't see this, but my cousin Joe has a friend, Bill, his uncle Sam has one, and if you're interested in it, it gives you something. And if it is something you're interested in, we'll change that down.
case down until we either buy it or until we find out that we're not really interested at whatever it's offered. Is there is there one uh, vehicle that has been kind of elusive that you guys are? But we are constantly on the work. Okay. For, for motorcycles, motorcycles came about uh, about 1860s when motorcycles, when something that looks like a motorcycle today was first created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on how you want to chase, you can chase motorcycle back to the first philosophy back in 1812. But put a motor on it, that came out in the 1860s with the steam powered creation. Uh, since that time, there's been over 2,500 different manufacturers of motorcycles. We have over 150 representatives. You can see there's a whole lot that we don't have that we'd love to have. But, you know, some, some of those that we'd love to have are, well, some of those 2,500 are sort of like a Chevrolet Buick. The same manufacturer, just a different nameplate right. on that. So we're not really, you really need a, one of each of the same, of the same car, just a different nameplate. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to go get something else? But we'd rather go get something else. So there's some we'll probably never collect that are like the nameplate differences. Uh, but there are some bikes out there, yeah, we'd love to have this. And we know they're there because we've seen them in other details. So, and we know that they're there because uh, you'll, you'll see occasionally, you'll see a mention that one has popped up at a vintage uh, display that we weren't there. But, but here's a picture of it, so we know it's out there. Even though the motorcycles are on display for all to see, almost all of the collection is so well maintained that the motorcycles can be ready to run in short order. Most everything that you see here can be running in about one hour. If we take it off the display, you know, we have to put fresh gas, fresh oil, and a battery if it's a battery-powered motorcycle. Uh, But we come in and... It can be running most everything within one hour. There's a couple of bikes in here that are just too important, too valuable to to really do that. But uh, most of them are running conditions here. You know, we try and put bikes up everywhere. You know, we've got motorcycles over your head here. Yeah. So, and they will stay. They haven't fallen yet. <laughs> Good. Uh, as I was talking about, this, this display here is where motorcycles... Where motorcycling began. This is a replica of the Maybach Daimler. Uh, it's an accurate to the scale bit that Maybach Daimler built, not necessarily as a motorcycle, but as a vehicle to demonstrate that their newfangled gasoline engine could propel them down the street. This over here, oh that's an 1867, I believe. This is 1885, 1867. Mr. Roper, uh, it's a steam-powered bike. Also, it didn't have a very big boiler on it because you just how much can you carry around and how much do you want to sit on top of? Right, in the hot seat. Yeah, in the hot, literally in the hot seat on both of these bikes because the exhaust on this one's straight up under the seat there. Even the oldest motorcycle in the collection, a 1902 Steffi, is in running condition as we discovered. This is the oldest complete motorcycle. This is a 1902 Steffi, uh, and it is a runner. It is running, but it's 1902, and it is all original. Um, That's gorgeous. Wooden wheels. Wow. And you can see very much uh, that it's a bolt-on to a bicycle frame. I do have that. 
As we wrap up our tour, we come upon three motorcycles that gave the Barber Vintage Museum its start back in 1988. The first three bikes that Mr. Barber collected, remember I told you his toys that started in 1988? <laughs> he went out and bought these three Hondas right here, these red, white, and blue Hondas. They're all brand new 1986 Hondas, no mileage on them, no miles on them at all. And he bought them, and from this, this is what started the collection. Mm-hmm. He went out and decided motorcycles were pretty neat after all. His goal, original goal, if, if he had his druthers, we'd be a car museum. But mm-hmm. he was, when he started collecting cars, it started too late, quite frankly. And uh, Peterson was already there. Harris was there in, in Reno. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman that owned Imperial Palace had his tremendous car collection up on the parking deck in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of great car museums. So in 1988, one of the guys that's helped him restore cars convinced him that he, that Mr. Barber might want to look at collecting motorcycles. And Mr. Barber went out and bought these three motorcycles. Motorcycles were pretty cheap in 1988. If you've followed the industry at all, 1988 motorcycles were probably as cheap as they, in terms of real dollars as they've ever been. Dealers, like I said, these are 1986s that were still in the dealership in 1988. You know, it's almost like you'd walk into a dealership and the dealer would say, how much money do I need to give you to take this off my hands? <laughs> Not quite that bad, but it's all that. So motorcycles took, you could get six motorcycles in the space of one car. You could uh, buy them, a, you could probably buy those six motorcycles cheaper than you could pay for that one car. And they had the added advantage that when you restored it, you could see how well I did the restoration. And Mr. Barber wanted to show his craftsmanship of his workers in that time. And had the advantage that when you restore a motorcycle, there's really not much you can hide. If they do something wrong, somebody, some, even if you don't know it's wrong, somebody's going to come through here and, start, and point it out to us, and we'll research and fix it so that we can eventually... It's almost like a Wikipedia if you want to look at it that way. People can come in there and edit that motorcycle and make it right. Now, clearly he was an avid collector, Mr. Barber. Did he Did he do any racing either? He raced cars. Okay. He raced cars, had won, uh, I believe if I have my fact right, he's 61st place in sports car racing. He raced Porsches and Lotuses as a young man. And... Uh, uh, it was quite successful, and that you know, cars was his life for it. When he was growing up, he had a, he had, when he 
racing, club racing, he had a, a team behind him. Where other teams would come driving the driving their car, they're going to race. Mr. Barber came to car hauler. Jack Goats of the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum here in Birmingham, Alabama. We thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprints. Well, thanks. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for today's World Footprints radio show. It is our desire to help you live your best life through travel. And if you've missed any of our shows, you can find them on our website at worldfootprints.com. And while there, click on your favorite social media icon and follow us at World Footprints. You can also hear your favorite World Footprints radio show on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Stitcher. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.